Hey, welcome. You've joined the UJ Faculty of Humanities podcast with each and every podcast that we'll do, going from each and every department within our faculty. There is something to learn, something to apply within industry, and it's always a relevant topic. So don't miss out. Enjoy. So, hello, Professor Barnes. Hi, Anneli. It's been a while that we have... Um, kind of engaged and spoke through some things that have to do with psychology and decolonization. And thank you for welcoming us to your home. In the African sense of where we come from, we say Togozani, meaning that uh, we're greeting you and the bands and those who are part of this space. And so um, and thank you for creating this time. So today we are basically talking about psychology and decolonization. I know you're a prof in, in psychology. And in, in our university, the UJ, we believe in core values of many things about diversity. And I believe that um, decolonization is part of diversity, of knowledge systems, and ways of how we talk and do um, psychology. But today, I really want us to foster our minds into talking around decolonization. Maybe you can just do a bit of greetings and, and introduction as, um, as Professor Barnes. Thanks, Anneli. It's lovely to engage with you again and uh, to work with you again. Um, Anneli and I, uh, for those listening in, uh, did some work on decolonization and psychology, and we put together a special issue as co-editors um, in 2018, but have engaged over the years on matters um, of African-centered psychology mm. as well as decolonization. Um, yeah, so it's lovely to be here. Um, like you said, I'm a professor of psychology. At the moment, I do uh, more administrative work in the <laughs> faculty <laughs> rather than academic work, but yeah. uh, my interests and my heart and passion still lie mm. in psychology. Mm. And that's me. Yeah, I look forward to chatting with you. Great. Maybe I should do a bit of introduction for people to know that um, um, Anela Siswana, I'm a clinical psychologist by profession. I am also a lecturer in the Department of Psychology. And I'm a traditional healer as well. <laughs> so I bring in all of these intersections of, of culture, tradition, um, queer understandings and, and, and all of that we should do. But I, I remember what we did in 2018 was such an amazing um, job of putting up um, articles and people commenting on different aspects of the economy. But I'd like us to take um, you to take us through your understanding and the sense of where we are around decolonization in higher education. Thanks, Anele. My take is that decolonization was a very, very powerful moment and movement within higher education and within psychology itself. Now, um, we must just be clear that a decolonization means different things to different people mm. Um, mm. and that we should avoid trying to define or um, box in our understandings of decolonization. I think as scholars in uh, the university, it's important for us to think through what this might mean, but also what... Uh, where we should be cautious and how we should take mm. these ideas forward. Mm. Um, so I would like to say that in higher education, the movement, uh, especially around the fees must fall and the subsequent mm. uh, issues that uh, we dealt with um, post-fees must fall, have really 
played an, an important part in how we mm. think mm. about decolonization mm. uh, in psychology in particular. Mm. Um, so there are many, many, many um, things that we could talk about. Uh, and like I said earlier, it means different things to different people. For some, it was about... Um, replacing perhaps knowledge that had been produced in particular contexts with mm. another set of knowledges. For others, it's about reclaiming um, space within the academy and within psychology. For others, it was mm. around the values, uh, particularly around inclusivity and mm. respect. Mm. While for others, uh, it was around creating a new way and a new set of languages mm. to be able mm. to express ourselves um, within the discipline, discipline and within mm. higher education in, mm. in particular. Mm. So um, that's the starting point, and I think it's had a, a huge effect, huge impact, um, mm. especially as we head into new uh, socio-political uh, eras and mm. uh, priorities in the country in higher education and psychology. Um, yeah. Okay, great. And, and and for me, to be quite specific, um, do you think uh, um, the discipline of psychology has responded quite well in relation to decolonization and probably s- to stretch it further to what we call African-centered psychology? Are these tr- uh, things different or they are mutually exclusive mm. when we talk of decolonization and African-centered psychology? Mm. So the first question, I think, is a good one. Um, Has psychology been slow? I think psychology traditionally has been (laughs) quite slow uh, with with any any kind of critical uh, movements. But I do think, particularly at the University of Johannesburg, there was a lot of change. There was a lot of um, meaningful change, I think, in the curriculum, Mm -hmm. in the way we teach, um, in the way we engage students, in the way in which we did research. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot more could be done. Um, I think African-centered psychology is indeed part of a broader line of thinking of decolonization. It's, we should be careful of not conflating the two. Great. Um, Great. Because Great. There, are, there are other areas in which uh, decolonization can be claimed um, especially with regards to what I call the silent revolutions mm-hmm. that often happen mm-hmm. in uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the academy. And here we're talking about curriculum change, we're talking yes, about the way in which we engage in students. I think most departments um, at the University of Johannesburg uh, have engaged with mm-hmm. ideas of decolonization. There are aspects of psychology in particular that um, really did throw themselves into mm-hmm. into these debates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm using the term debate um, uh, purposefully here um, n- again not to force ideas onto people mm-hmm. but really for people to engage scholars to engage academics to engage students to engage in the various debates to give them a more holistic feel of the potential for psychology mm. um, and I think that's happened quite meaningfully mm-hmm. uh, particularly in some uh, subjects in psychology mm-hmm. uh, subjects that come to mind as in uh, for example community psychology uh, health psychology, social psychology, uh, at the higher levels of professional training, the mm. psychology uh, department introduced training in African-centered psychology. Mm. And cool. people like you and Ele have also brought in uh, nice ideas around, um, around the training of, of our students, mm. um, as well as the conscientization of academics around it. So mm. to me, it's not a, a once-off event and it's not <laughs> necessarily an mm. event that can mm. be put into a box, 
but mm. it's uh, small steps, quiet steps, and mm. um, that, and, and it's an ongoing project. Great. Uh, I might might add that it's an ongoing project that started way before uh, the term decolonization re-entered um, okay. the discipline. Mm. So you know, uh, mm. in our recent history, uh, you look at movements around feminism. You look at uh, movements around queer theory. Before that, uh, critical theory, political psychology, um, mm. all of those kinds of things that have mm. addressed mm. Um, many issues. Yeah, so I was saying that, uh, Anele, you know, we also have to look at recent history um, of the discipline and decolonization, um, you know, dovetailed with a lot of important issues that the discipline was grappling with mm. to begin mm. with. And there were two really important things. The first was the question of relevance. Relevance um, mm. that has been debated post-apartheid um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. obviously debated during uh, apartheid, the relevance of psychology in society. Mm-hmm. And the other is inclusivity and diversity. Mm-hmm. And that's those two issues really came together nicely around questions of decolonization. Mm-hmm. Subsequent to that, we've had to engage with uh, questions of decolonization in relation to other uh, major societal um uh, events, uh, for example, at the moment for IR at yes, UJ uh, and in society. And how do we respond? Do we see these as mutually exclusive or do we see these as working together? Now, of course, I believe that we can see them as working together mm-hmm. and can have important yeah. impacts. Mm-hmm. Um, your second question, Anele, is around um, whether we see African-centered psychology as mutually exclusive um, to decolonize, and of course not. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, of course not. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we we must see it in, in terms of a bigger picture. Yeah, and, uh, and I think I like the idea of an African-centered psychology. And people often look, ask, how does this even look like mm. in in teaching and in practice and in all of that. And for me, the difficulty is always whenever we speak of African-centered approaches, there's no reference of academic scientific text. Um, it's only now that. Um, People like Ratel, the Sibas, Ramoses, and many others who are into that, they're mm. trying to establish a sense of credibility mm. around defining mm. what African centered psychology is, what it, it is not, because mm. the assumption is it's all a mamba jamba kind of a thing, that there's no specific kind of science mm. that informs that. But I believe that as Africans, we've always had our own ways of constructing knowledge. And disseminating knowledge. I'm not, I know you are a big fan of us not being too protective of the kind of knowledge systems that we... I mean, articles are, are sold. Mm. Um, this is part of the decolonization movement and all of that. And with African ways of knowing, it's been oral tradition. It has been these traditions that are non-scientific mm. in a way. So for some of us who are doing this work, there's still so much of, of credibility work and need and relevance of normalizing mm. and theorizing, thinking mm. differently. I mean, I don't know of any th- theory that is African-centered, but mm. there are certain ways in which we can draw from, mm. from that aspect. But I think on the first part, you've helped us to understand what decolonization is and what it is not, and some of the pitfalls that we need to be quite mindful of. But I think now we can move on to the other segment around um, probably some of your thoughts that you've probably thought about how I do this in in therapy of how it looks like. Because Mm. beyond being an academic, Mm. there's a point where I have to sit down and how does this even look like? I mean, Mm. I have to bring on 
the underground gang, I call it, the underground gang, the ancestors, where they're throwing information. Yeah. Like, tell this person this and all of that. Yeah. By the time someone sits, already I have a script. Yeah. Them, I, and again, I always find this, Brendan, that when I go to private practice, there's been a point where when I started training, I used to have my cloth. So I would wrap it on my, um, around me, and I would, be, uh, and I had my beads on, and sometimes I would have beads, and people already can already construct a narrative mm. by just seeing the beads. Mm. And so for me, being in that space and like being, being trained psychodynamically, where anonymity and privacy and all of that, I've been quite conflicted. Mm. And for me, where I'm at now, uh, I'm curious to actually um, hear my colleagues as to their impressions mm. of um, how do I experience this? Mm. Maybe you can mm. start there. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fascinating, Anilena. I think what you um, bring to the discussion is the practice side of things the as well as the academic side of things. But maybe I could also just get your thoughts on how you see decolonization of psychology um, linking with African-centered psychology, uh, and then we can move on to the details of how that looks in practice. Mm. For me, as I've said, that the, the, the difficulty of what I'm experiencing, there's a post that I saw on Facebook and Twitter, mm. a clinical psychologist that was advertising herself. So what she did, she collaborated where you call it Tumsamo, where people go in Bumbin and all of that. This is, I call it the underground office. <laughs> so the underground office was in the same space. Why underground? Your underground gang and underground The underground office. is basically a, a chilled word of saying ancestors. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so you call it the underground yeah. gang. So um, it's, it's the ancestral office. So she, it, she has that in the same space, she has a private room. Now, the debate there was, isn't this a conflict of interest? Or isn't this dual therapy? Mm-hmm. And in the way of how we understand, oh, integrative therapy. Mm. So if there's integrative therapy, there's dual therapy, and there's conflict of interest. Obviously, from the West, the colonized way of looking at things, one would then say and argue that this is conflict of interest. And for me, that was the point of actually saying, actually, mm. this is a conversation now mm. about how this looks like in practice. Because mm. we, we, we are putting academic terms, mm. nice words into it, but what is actually decolonizing therapy? Mm. Mm. Um, because we all know what we know, which is very colonized, which is very Eurocentric. Mm. Now, for me, in practice, as an example, what is decolonization? It means the first thing that I do, instead of saying good morning, I say togozani, mm. or I say tamaku, mm. or I say makos. Already, one who understands that, they already can identify with that. Mm. And how my space looks like, it's very decolonized. Mm. As much as I don't use the same room and same space, where I do my underground work, and at the same time, the psychological work, but they are, I call it sacred elements that are indicative of that. One of it, it's my identity. You see the beads. Mm-hmm. And I'll have my sniff, the, the tobacco mm-hmm. there. I'll have my mat that, that is there. Already that suggests a decolonized way of looking at this, where people are already looking for a long chair, mm. a long couch, mm. or going to be ask how you're feeling. Mm. And for me, I always ask, 
unjani or ninjani, mm. meaning that I'm not only asking you, but the response that I'm getting, there's a recognition of the other and all of that. Mm. But by the time people come to see me, already mm. they've done their research. Mm. So there have been times, Brendan, where I have to take off my shoes because probably the gang is saying, no, 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 this time around. So I've had to negotiate space. Mm. And automatically, there's a conversation already. Some people would even then ask, what does it mean for you to have this in this room? But I'm very wary of saying that the person that you have came to see is a registered clinical psychologist, and I'm also registered with the BHF. So don't be worried. You will only get to see the psychologist, but my identity already in the room, mm. introduces a decolonized way of working mm. around these issues. Mm. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's incredible. Um, you know, often, like you say, we get caught up in concepts, uh, perhaps theories, and that's, that's a very important, mm, mm. and perhaps in the university space, you know, thinking about broad concepts, but how it plays out in practice is really important. And so, yeah, thank yeah. you for that. Mm, um, mm. I was also just maybe coming back to your teaching because I know you do do a lot of teaching mm -hmm. uh, in African-centered psychology and in therapy and so forth. Uh, you've also written in sort of social psychology and critical psychology. Um, but I, uh, I, I just wanted to get a sense from you about some of the challenges of the, um, the teaching space and teaching mm. this kind of thing. I think maybe if just briefly touch on from practice side, mm. My, my therapist asked me, how are you feeling about doing this kind of work that is non-normative or non-hegemonic? Mm. I, I sit with guilt of the colonized mind mm. and the colonized background. Those shall not do this in, in psychodynamic. I told mm. of the frame. You shouldn't do this and do all that. But I've had to dance with my guilt and pleasure of doing what I love, mm. and this is, I'm, not, I'm doing no harm. Mm. So even with my teaching perspective, like with the master's class, they thoroughly enjoyed, and most of them, it's for the first time in their academic life, mm. being introduced to notions of African psychology, mm. what this thing is. And so, and again, there's a theoretical basis of the work that has been done so far, mm. and people like Ratello have written a book about mm. what, African psychology looks like mm. and what it, it is not. So there's a great excitement from students mm. of receiving local knowledge mm. and again reading scholars that it's so accessible. And mm. um, yes, we do have the Walter Mignolos and, and the rest that have written extensively about decolonization, but now to get the works of mm. people that we know that teach us in our, mm. in our classrooms mm. and all of that, it becomes more amplified for students. Mm. So my experience of, as a lecturer doing this, it has been quite an amazing and liberating experience, even for me, that I'm not feeling guilty at the end of the day that when my students are confronted later in practice with African realities, mm. I mean, how we construct and understand the DSM, mm. it's socially constructed in pathology and psychiatry. But then again, I'm able to teach students about possibilities that beyond seeing this as psychosis, mm. there is the possibility mm. that there could be witchcraft, that there could be these other elements into it. And also me as a psychologist and as a, an academic in the room with students that it's so accessible for them that they have someone who's actually doing this in practice. Mm. So I'm able to draw from my lived experience, mm. from my experience as a practicing psychologist, 
from theory mm. and grounding this mm. within a particular foundation that it makes it so accessible for students to to even try it out to say mm. when i'm looking at personality disorders what are some of the terms and notions and metaphors that mm. we use to describe a personality disorder mm. in fact what is depression in african context because one may not come with the actual clinical words in mm. practice but they may bring metaphors like there's something in my shoulders mm. my head is spinning and all of mm. these things mm. so i'm able to draw from local knowledges mm. and integrate them into theory mm. and beyond them just that there's also the advantage of bringing praxis mm. that makes it accessible for students to mm. relate with that even though for some it, it it always feels like as a white student do i need to know this mm. race then comes in is african psychology or african centered psychology for blacks mm. or for whites mm. or some <laughs> middle ground which some i middle you know you know yeah. which i'd love to explore with you perhaps now um <laughs> no there th- th- would be some who would feel that um you know it seems either or you've got you know western and you've got african centered oh yeah yeah um mm. um uh, and perhaps we feed into that but uh, just some of your thoughts anile about you know making um african centered psychology um and associated practices um more accessible perhaps or um you know more available to to many your thoughts i think the problem that that makes it true for us to to stumble or struggle with this concept of african psychology it's other disciplines outside that I mean there are many people who may identify with different kind of religious um convictions it could be Christian it could be any but those ideologies are, are are socially accepted as normative ways of how to do things now being a sangoma or a traditional healer is problematically constructed in society mm. it's either you are a witch mm. or you're working with dark powers and all of those mm. things so already with african psychology there's no woha about it in the literature mm. or it's only known in africa or in mm. south africa so it's not a hegemonic knowledge kind of knowledge system that everybody knows about it mm. so the already there will be reservations and apprehension mm. around people's responses in relation to that but the bigger problem is that again for for african psychology or for african centered psychology to have more credibility there's needed to be there's a need for more write ups i mean we have people who have probably thought of african mythology or african ways of knowing and understanding like credo mutua mm. but his work is deemed as mythological mm. or kind of philosophical in a way but until we have credible work and research that's centered around that like mm. i've taken a personal responsibility most of my students in their dissertation there is an element of an african perspective so as to bring value into the one of my students is doing uh, work around experiences of traditional queer healers mm. right and I, there's a part where she speaks about african epistemology as a legitimate form of knowing as a way of understanding african realities and so for me practically mm. from a praxis perspective and also from an academic perspective to give to give credibility it is when we can start doing studies mm. that have an empirical sense of understanding um uh, participant subjective experience of what this is how the experience is and all of that mm. that's the closest that i can come mm. to mm. in response to what you've just highlighted mm. Mm. 
That's really interesting. I mean, I think you've picked up on a couple of issues, but the one thing you've said uh, repeatedly is the need for more writing. Need for more uh, writing. The, re- yeah. the need you mentioned credible credible writing. Um, but um, I just wanted to get your sense of how we foster that. How we. I am absolutely delighted <laughs> that over the past few years we now have at least a dozen scholars who I mm. believe are writing beautifully mm. in the mm. field mm. and that mm. we actually have a, 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 a corpus of literature that we can at least start to think this through. Mm. We also, of course, have a bigger literature, uh, pan-African literature, Definitely, literature from yeah. the diaspora mm. uh, to draw on. But yeah, what are your thoughts about how to foster um, the writing of African-centered psychology? I think the beginning starts with teaching African psychology. And, and, and instead of doing it in silos in the way that we are doing now, that in the department is known to be someone else's interest, I think it can be fostered as, as a core module mm. um, that each psychology student would be registered for African-centered psychology or whatever African-centered, like we have done in mm. the faculty, introducing that course. Mm. But it bring brought more to psychology being made a, 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 a module that students will then start uh, engaging with that mm. from as early as first year. Mm. So if you can do that, I, then students would know there is this possibility. And even if in our postgraduate studies, mm. we then encourage students to look for topics and subjects that have to do with something along the lines of that. So from a, a teaching perspective, and targeting it from as early as, as undergraduate, mm. and then foster that. Then also think, I mean, with um, people like Chilis and many others that have written uh, uh, on decolonizing methodologies, mm. starting from as, as that as well at mm. postgraduate level, mm. as to what do we mean by when we speak of uh, decolonizing methodologies? Mm. What does that look like? Mm. And how we can apply? Because as long as we know Linda Smith her work is incredible, mm. but it's less evident in students' work, mm. either in when they're writing theoretical um, frameworks or uh, possible paradigms mm. of thinking about mm. that. So from a teaching perspective and research, I see potential, and this is where mm. we can start targeting and, and, and foster mm. these ideals and ways of thinking about African psychology mm. and the whole broad concept of decolonization. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's great, and I think, you mm. know, the... the the starting point of teaching and introducing it early is um, possibly also to mm. grow the cohort of people mm-hmm. who, who would mm. go on to become mm. uh, academics mm. or scholars or researchers mm. or mm. practitioners mm. Um, mm. thinking about these issues. I have one final question okay. for you. It's a tough question, Anele. What do you think are some of the traps, uh, potential traps, um, of thinking in an African-centered psychology way? I'm thinking scholarship. Okay. Um, I think for me, the trap is the need to over-justify <laughs> what decolonization and, and, and African psychology means. Like, it feels like it's, it's an, an effort uh, to make people believe this thing. It's more like you're selling a product, right? And the scientific community, like, nah, they don't trust this. <laughs> so trustworthiness, and uh, mm. I kept on using the word credibility. Mm. So the, the danger thing is that... Um, we we uh we may go through the trap of over explaining 
what this is mm. and so that at the end of the day people would get would get lose the essence mm. of what this is at the same time is it will always be compared to mm. the hegemonic way we know psychology to be psychodynamic mm. to be narrative to be cbt to be all of this and mm. this and that so it will always be against the grain of mm. and because it is what it is psychology is that now in terms of practice where then people would then bring these issues is this human therapy is this integrative therapy which is for me my argument mm. it's integrative and um, but this, this there's no sense of even scientific or western integration of what integrative therapy is mm. there is no sense of what this is one could tell you use this a bit of that and bring all of these things together so what's wrong with me when i bring a bit of this and that and that mm. and for instance like mm. i usually say mr v for me when people when i refer clients to psychiatrist when they are depressed it's fine whenever i see that this is not just depression and the underground gang mm. amplifies the mm. narrative i'm able to say go to mkulu mangmang mm. or goko who who's going to help you unpack this however because i've got the local knowledge it could look like this mm. now that what i'm going to suggest is not in an mdt involves a medical doctor a psychiatrist an ot a social worker and all of that now for me my mdt is expanded it involves a traditional healer a herbalist that can prescribe a certain type of medication so because that is not in the norm that will be seen as a problem again would people will speak of ethics um is it ethical to do this it's ethical because i'm doing no harm so another problem is in terms of practice there is no right or wrong way of a manual unless we can start writing about the manual something one person asked me in the in the underground world or in the ancestral world do we have a dsm <laughs> and i said no ways we can't have a dsm there because it's this is subjective and it's different mm. it comes in different shapes and different forms in the academy everything needs to go for trials it goes needs to for validation for peer reviews now there am i am taking my paper to brandon to integrate to to review integrative therapy from an african perspective chances are if you're not aware of that you're going to say this is nonsense mm. <laughs> okay. so having no reference of this mm. from the scientific way of how we understand science that's another problem in another thing is it will always be compared to and again we will trust who is writing this mm. even amongst african scholars um there are politics of saying that this one is superficial mm. uh, this one is not touching this and uh, one of the professors wrote a very critical um article about um african psychology and he was murdered mm. for his ideals and notions and that's what that's how we saw it and so within there there are politics mm. of who is who who has the right who has the legitimacy of that when a colleague from the west writes about african psychology that's been questioned so those yeah, are some of the things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean some of it is is complicated and I think oh, it's complex issues um and issues that are certainly much needed on the agenda uh, in yeah. the debates mm-hmm. in 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 the academic discourse and uh you know I really look forward to uh 
engaging more on the topic Definitely, and uh, yes, yeah, yes. engaging with you. Thanks. And you see more of the work that I do around um, how this possibly looks like. And mm. I've been getting a lot of interviews mm. um, and podcasts around mm. um, how do I resolve this? And I think it requires a, a different kind of bold generation like mm. us mm. to question and position this way of looking at knowledge systems at looking at practice and all of that. Mm. But um, because of time and other constraints, and thank you for this great conversation, mm. it's always good to translate what we write about mm. and make it accessible for even people that may not have access to buy even the special issue that we did. Yeah. But this, it's on YouTube, it's available. Mm. And for the faculty to see the kind of beautiful work that mm. we do as a mm. department mm. And, and as a university, mm. thank you for that. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so Anneli. Much.